You're listening to Traumedy, the podcast that helps you cope with trauma using comedy. It's not a replacement for trauma therapy, but it will help you get by between sessions. Don't get stuck. Know that you're not alone. This podcast is here for you. It's here for me. It's peer-to-peer sharing. If you have any questions, message me, Nancy Norton. I'm a comedian. I'm studying therapeutic humor. I'm a former registered nurse. I give keynote presentations about the power of humor, why we need it, and how it helps us cope with the stresses in life. This week's guest is one of my longtime friends in the comedy business. Uh, I was just about to sing, there's no business like strabismus. If you don't know what strabismus is, it is uh, sometimes called a lazy eye or a crossed eye or a misaligned eye. But strabismus is something my guest and I have in common and... You know, when you're a little bit funny looking, it will make you funny because, hey, you got to laugh or you're going to cry. Enjoy this week's episode with my good friend, John Novosad. Welcome to Traumedy. My guest this week is John Novosad. John is a comedian. He's a Denver comedy legend. You've been on the Comedy Works list since... The beginning. Since the beginning. I mean, I started doing comedy before the comedy works. I started in either, I don't even remember the year, but it was like 79 or 80. And I think that the comedy works opened in 1981. Wow, you predate the comedy works. Yeah, how about that? I've been doing it for a long time, that's for sure. Yeah, and it shows. Oh, thanks. Yeah, Yeah. I, I love when you're on stage and just in that zone and you're, you're typically, and I think that is one of the joys of having done this for several decades now, that we can drop in and be at home on stage and sh- bring your whole self. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was talking to a younger comic the other day and I said, I just, after all these years, I have the confidence that I'm going to make it funny no matter what happens, you know, and to have that. Yeah. It really does make a difference. You trust your muses at this point. Yeah, for and, sure. And then you you just always have a nice rapport. And I, they say in comedy too, one of the biggest factors is being likable. And I would take it, I think you're very lovable. I feel like audiences, <laughs> I mean, really, I feel that love that lovability about you. I do have a really strong likability factor. <laughs> it's hard for me to say, but I do. I really do. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think that's about you liking yourself. Yeah. And you... And the other thing about you, and again, I know this podcast is not about comedy per se. It really isn't. But I think that because what we do is uh, bring issues up in a way that make it palatable for people. And I don't, I'm not saying you're not necessarily an activist comic, but just by being who you are, you bring up issues that are important, you know, that make a difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, when I was hippie man and I was hippie man for like 15 years, then I went back to my uh, real name, John Novosad, but I did a show called Hippie Man's Plan for America. And the whole premise of the show was politicians don't know what the hell they're talking about. So I've got a plan. Yeah. And I would just do topics and, you know, it did it in a joking way, but sometimes it hit pretty close to home. What year was that, that you did Hippie Man's Plan for America? <sighs> Man, I would say 2000 and 
2010, maybe 2011, something like that. That sounds right. And I remember going to it at the Nomad Theater in Boulder, Colorado. Yeah. And Josh Blue was there. And I can't remember who else, but I laughed so hard with Josh Blue. And it, I don't typically smoke marijuana because I can't handle it. Uh-huh. And I did that night. It just felt like you can't go to see Hippie Man <laughs> without smoking a hippie little man. weed. Yeah, Hippie yeah. Man's plan for America. Somehow I was in a big car. I don't know. It was like a big Lincoln or something mm-hmm. with like th- maybe four or five other comedians. And so what do they, do they call that hot boxing when you're in it? Yeah, a- you can call that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what, it, this is me. I'm so such a nerd sometimes, but I mean, I, I've smoked marijuana occasionally. In fact, one of the last times I smoked marijuana was with you up in Paonia. Yeah. Just about a year ago, a little over a year ago. We giggled and yeah, we had, it we was had, really fun. we were like little kids. Thank you for that. Yeah, sure. Thanks. It's fun getting high with you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I got to remember that, that I I have, well, anyway, I don't need to go into my marijuana trauma, but I have some kind of marijuana trauma where I felt abandoned by my ex who uh, smoked a lot of marijuana and I didn't feel like she was present with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, can you just smoke it like on the weekends or something like that? But anyway, I got to watch my judgments about marijuana because I, I don't know. All I'm saying is that I had a great time and I think there's a part of me because I like to be in control of myself. I get so giddy and silly. Maybe, maybe I didn't feel safe to do that with most people, but with you, I felt safe. Oh, that's cool. It's funny you mention that because I know I'll mention this person's name, but we went to high school together and she had a little marijuana that her son left at her house or whatever. And she was like, hey, can we go out to breakfast and then go for a hike and smoke this marijuana? And I was like, yeah, let's do it, you know, because I, I I mean, it's legal here in Colorado. So I'm not, you know, if you're a federal agent, then I guess I'm in trouble. But I, I went with her and she took a couple hits of weed and then we went for like an hour long walk. But about five minutes into this walk, I was like, what happens if this woman freaks out on weed? I'm going to have to talk her down. But it was great. We had a great time. We laughed. It was really fun. Yeah. And uh, do you, do you smoke when you write your material? I do sometimes. Yeah. I like to. And I remember what George Carlin said about, he didn't smoke when he writes, but he would write it. He'd go, I wrote a bunch of shit. And then I would take one hit of really good weed and edit it. But yeah, he, but I do, I like to write on weed and I don't do it all the time. But I do like to, and I do love to listen to, like, I won't listen to every set, but I'll listen to a set and smoke a little weed, and it just switches my, you know, perception or whatever you want to call it. So I, I do like doing that. Yeah, and that's that's a thing with humor that it gives you this different perspective on stuff. Yeah. And that to bring up, like, maybe it lets your muses in, or maybe it, it brings right. in more of that whimsy where something might, you might be, you know, having a bit of a furrowed brow about something where the environment's important. Right. And so it's heavy, man, because we all are dependent on Mother Earth for our life. And lowering our carbon footprint is the best thing we can do, which you really do. You walk your talk. You actually do ride the bus. You actually are a vegetarian. And those are the two biggest things in our culture that can lower your carbon footprint the most are not driving and not eating animals. I'm so impressed. Right. Well, thanks. And I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm not a good driver, so (laughs) (laughs) it's pretty easy to ride the bus, but, uh, I'm a, I've been a vegetarian for probably 25 years because maybe even longer because before I got married, my, 
uh, fiance Lynn was a vegetarian and then I was fixing separate meals and stuff. And I was like, this is stupid, you know? So I just started, we started eating vegetarian together. And then after we got divorced, I was like, I'm just going to keep being a vegetarian. So you've been, so that you just kind of came by it out of convenience and now it's, yeah. it's stayed with you. Yeah. It's but do you think you're a vegetarian? Does it, has anything else come up in your psyche about why you're doing it? Yeah, for sure. As I learn more and more about how it affects the environment, I feel better and better about it, but I'm not like a militant vegetarian. If somebody, like I would say, you know, Hey, you could tackle a cow right in front of me and start gnawing on it. I think that's your right under the Constitution. And if the cow started winning, I'd jump down there and start fighting the cow with you. You know, <laughs> like I'm not going to eat this thing, but you're losing to a cow right now. I am on the side of the oh, cow. So you, yeah, you'd start fighting the guy. I probably would. If yeah. somebody started gnawing on a cow right in front of me, yeah. I'd be like, leave the cows alone, yeah. will you? But I do. I think about how much water it saves. And, you know, it's really good for the environment. And it seems. Like I say, I'm not militant about it, but I, I just, it doesn't make sense to me to, you know, raise animals and kill them and eat them. It just seems weird to me now after all these years of being a vegetarian. Yeah. And somehow we survive. Yeah. But I mean, I do the same thing. I try to make light of it at the same time. It actually does cause me some physical pain, Mm. but I think that's because of my childhood trauma where at some point in my infancy, something went down where I felt voiceless and powerless and so that's I think part of my thing is more about the animals and then the environment is second but that's me you know Mm -hmm. uh I love that bit you do about the recycling is that something could we play a snippet about the environment yeah and just to hear like how you're coping in a funny way with something that's really serious but it just cracks me up Let's try it here and see what happens. No, what I want to do is talk about the environment a little bit tonight, you know? Uh, And I do. I believe in acid rain. I don't know if you do, but I am looking forward to it, man. (laughs) I should have split that last drop four ways, man. (laughs) But, you know... The environment is important, and uh, it is. And there are things you can do to help the environment. Of course, the number one thing is to recycle. And I recycle. Uh, I do, you know. Uh, I'm a busy guy, so I do it all at once. Like I melt down plastic, tin, and aluminum all into one super compound that I call plastinium. And so far, all I've made is a knife out of it, but (laughs) I'll tell you this, nobody's giving me any trouble on the bus anymore, yeah? How about some plastinium, pal? (laughs) Is that where you're acting it up? If you ever get in a knife fight, I always throw that hand up there over your head, and when they're looking up there... Yeah. <laughs> That's a visual. Yeah. I love that where you have your hand up over your head and you're so that last wave of laughter you could you people are like wonder what that was. Yeah, yeah, you're throwing a hand up over your head and then you're stabbing someone in what looks like the gut. Right, exactly. <laughs> and I say when they're looking up there, stab them. <laughs> Can I ask I never thought about asking about this before, but that part about the knife and the knife fight on the bus. Uh-huh. Have you ever had that fantasy or where did you get this idea? 
about like, have you ever thought, well, what if I have to defend myself, <laughs> you know? You know, I think the reason I did that is just because I'm so expressive with my hands. And then one night I had my hand up there, like over my head and it just, <laughs> I ad libbed it. You know, if you ever get in a knife fight, I always throw that hand up there. <laughs> so, I mean, I've thought about it on the bus before, not about stabbing somebody with a knife, but I've thought of, you know, there's been times on the bus when I'm like, I might have to fight this guy because, you know, you get some people who are real rowdy on the bus. But I've <laughs> or never... like that bit you do about the guy that was, let's take our shoes off and fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is that? This guy asked me for a dollar and I didn't, we were on the bus and I try to be polite. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't have a dollar. And he goes, hey, man why don't we take our shoes off and do a little boxing? And my joke is, well, I'm on this bus for another 35 minutes, so <laughs> let's box. And then as he was taking his shoes off, I beat the hell out of him. <laughs> I love it. And I, you know what just came to me too is how much you're confronting lookism. Yeah. Because oh, what yeah. we were talking about uh, earlier about hippie man and what people think of as a hippie, you know, they think of somebody that's really high, maybe they're out of it. They have long hair. Maybe they don't have a regular job. But you do several bits that confront that lookist thing. Oh, just because I have long hair and I'm riding a bus, don't make assumptions about me. Right. I literally did have a woman on the 16th Street Mall in Denver, broad daylight, walk across, get to me, and say... Broad daylight. Yeah. I, just let me be with that for a minute. <laughs> broad daylight. Broad daylight. But... She had a doggy bag and she comes up to me and she says, Hey buddy, are you hungry? And I'm literally walking. I'm walking on the mall. I didn't have a sign or anything. And so my joke is I go, no, but I'm horny. And things took a turn after that, you know? And then I say I was hungry. But uh I mean that was just weird to me. You know, I, I literally looked at myself in the mirror after that and said, like, God, what is it? You know, and I mean I am a unique looking individual or whatever, but I just thought that was really weird that of all the people on this mall, she singled me out to give me a doggy bag. Yeah. And I guess in her heart, you know, she was doing something good, but I was. She, she made a lot of assumptions. Yeah, she really did. And she's know? like, I'm going to give this to the next homeless man yeah. I see. And here I come down the street. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bingo. Look at this poor bastard. You know? uh, and, you know, I, like you said, yeah, there wasn't a cardboard sign hungry yeah. or anything yeah, like that. That's just wild. I was dressed for a show, which I always wear dark you know, black, black dress pants and a long sleeve shirt with a collar. So it wasn't like I was, you know, yeah. all ruffled up and stuff. I don't know. It was weird. How did that become your stage uniform? You have kind of a stage uniform. Yeah. Did um, well, when I was hippie, man, I used to have this big transformation at the end where I was wearing like a tie-dyed superhero underneath, <laughs> superhero costume underneath. And so I had tearaway clothes. So I'd always wear like dress slacks and a, a long sleeve shirt to hide all that. And then I even would wear like a tie and a coat. And then I just got tired of doing that transformation all the time. But I really liked wearing the slacks and a shirt. So that's sort of how it became my uniform or whatever you want to call it. And it's a nice kind of juxtaposition with the long hair yeah. to have a nice like dress shirt dress shirt on and mm -hmm. i i love that 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 was a funny juxtaposition when you had all that on and then you had those tearaway pants yeah and your little like speedo right. and your tights and then you would stretch out over the stool like a superman like yeah. a kid playing superman and being your own superhero that's a really fun idea too yeah. that's a great tromedy and 
what people would say what super hippie man hippie man come quick yeah how did that go Do, i'm trying to remember some of those bits um i'd go i'll be right there and then that's when i would lay down the stool and pretend to fly <laughs> and then i'd come off the stool and go oh hippie man hurt himself and he was flying there because <laughs> i'm laying on my groin basically <laughs> you I, always had like a peace sign right yeah. over the uh crotch area right and i'd say don't be looking down here and i'd point at the crotch because i go that's one of the few superhero powers i have i can tell when people are checking out hippie man's package so. <laughs> that's really fun i love this whole playfulness with reality and 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 like being like a little kid you know like yeah. we can be like little kids because they say it's a difference between being childish and childlike Right. And childlike is expansive and full of wonder and possibility, whereas childish is sort of self-centered and right. me, me, me. So I do feel like you've got that childlike wonder. Oh, thanks, yeah. And, and I think the audiences, you really invite audiences to remember that childlike wonder. I think so, too. I mean, I made a decision a long time ago when I first started doing it that I want the audience to come along with me. And that really, you know, that's been a driving force in the way that I create stuff. I love that. And all, all of a sudden, you know what I pictured? Like I pictured a bus where you're like, get on the hippie man <laughs> yeah, bus let's go. and let's go yeah. to funny town Yeah, because it really is like you are inviting us to be silly, right? be silly yeah. about anything hit heavy or light. And a lot of your stuff, I don't always know like if there's something behind it, but I know you well enough and also know that you and I both have something called strabismus, which is a misaligned eye muscle. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we, we have monocular vision mm -hmm. and, and we also, I know the pain of growing up with a facial disfigurement because kids, they don't even always mean to be mean. They're just, they like pointing stuff out. Like, I don't know about you, but kids will always point it out oh, to me. Oh, yeah, me too. Make sure you know, hey, by the way, hey, did you know? <laughs> and it was like, yep, pretty yeah. aware of it. Yeah, I knew that was going on, but thanks <laughs> for pointing it out. <laughs> and it becomes like something where there, at least for me, I had to develop. I, my sister said I would say, hi, I'm Nancy, I'm cross-eyed. This is when I was three, because I was cross-eyed at three. Mm -hmm. And they, at six, they did surgery and my, they overcorrected or my brain just pushed it out. I think the brain doesn't like double vision. So it kind of pushes it to a blind spot right. or something. Anyway, I know that there's at least a little, like, I don't know, childhood wound, I guess, around looking different. Did you have that or? Yeah, for sure. I don't know if it's as big for boys. It is for girls, but yeah, I definitely had it and kids made fun of me and stuff. And then even as an adult, one time I was walking in Denver and there was some young guys in a car and they were giving me shit, you know, because of the way I look and yelling shit at me and then the guy saw my eye and he's like oh man you got a fucked up eye too and i mean oh. i started laughing because it was just like they hit the jackpot as far as they were concerned <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so you just had to i mean yeah. you gotta laugh at yeah, it right sure. but i'm always surprised too sometimes after a show people come up to me and then i i've made jokes about my eye you know, my thing, I, my joke is it's from the easy bake oven, you know, mm -hmm. cause we're cooking with a light bulb and, uh, but people will still come up to me after the show and think it's funny to go, Oh, are you talking to me? And yeah, it's just like, yeah, I, I guess that's just their way of, they're, they're like, you're joking about it. So I'm joking about it. I think it's a bonding thing, but sometimes it, it's sort of like, okay. I don't know. Yeah. It's sort of like if you were doing fat jokes, are people going to go, oh, you really are fat? I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it's one thing if I talk about it, but then. Yeah. You know. 
And that is this thing with, I'm studying therapeutic humor. I can't say it, but I'm doing it. I'm studying (laughs) (laughs) humor, (laughs) therapeutic humor, where if I make fun of myself, in fact, you know what's weird? My sister, my younger sister, if you do a thing like that where you say the word wrong, to her, that's the funniest thing. She's <laughs> she'll repeat it over and over. Humor, humor. You know? yeah. <laughs> but she's my younger sister, trying to get her power back. But yeah, it's about that thing where if somebody's making fun of themselves, that's empowerment. Right. But if you pile on, eh, then it gets a little fuzzy. Whether that's therapeutic or if that's hurtful. Right. And it really depends on the person how well they know you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but. Uh, Anything that comes to your mind where maybe a pivotal moment in your childhood or life where you just realized this thing with humor that it was helpful to you and healing or, or just fun or what, did you have a pivotal moment where you realized humor is your friend? Yeah, I did. I mean, you know, when I was young, six years old, my father died. And so that was and it was, yeah, and it was December 23rd. So, I mean, Christmas was yeah. just, you know, December, even to this day. I mean, he died when I was six, so over 60 years ago. But still, Christmas can be difficult because you kind of... And I don't remember my father that well. I mean, as a six-year-old kid. But that's when, at least at some point, when I was a little kid, I would use humor at the family dinner table and I have an older brother and sister. And my goal was always to make my sister laugh, man. She was my best audience. And I try to get her, you know, to spit milk or whatever she's drinking. out of her <laughs> nose. And man, I love my mom because she was, you know, I think she was happy that, you know, we were laughing and having a good time. And she was never like, Johnny, don't ever, you know, she would just be like, oh, Johnny, you're, you know, so silly. And she gave me that latitude or whatever you want to call it to do that. And so that's where I think that really helped me and hopefully the family kind of. Oh, I bet it did. You know, I know that you, I just know this instinctually that you raise the vibration in Mm -hmm. the home. Because yeah. that had to have been so hard. Your mom is a single mom with three kids. Yeah. And did your dad just die suddenly? No, he had uh, lung issues. I think he had lung cancer. And one of my memories of my dad was like him in bed with the oxygen tank behind him and the hoses and stuff. Oh. Not a great memory. Oh, you know? yeah. So but he had been sick for a yeah, little while. Yeah, he had been sick. And then, like I say, he died on December 23rd. Oh. So that was like a double whammy, you know? Yeah, and your mom must have probably had to take care of him. So she must have been under a lot of stress for yeah. a long time if she was taking care of him and then three kids. Right. And, and then was she working? Well, my mother and father had a grocery store, like a mom and pop grocery store. So she ran the front of it and he was like the meat cutter. So I, I want to do an album called Vegetarian Son of a Butcher. You know? Son of a Butcher. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, maybe just call it Son of a Butcher. But, um, <laughs> but I like Vegetarian yeah. Son of a Butcher. But so when he died, she kept the store open for like, God, five or six years afterwards. And what she would do is hire uh, a meat cutter, you know, and then kept it going. So she was raising three kids, tried to keep that store going. And then uh, after like maybe five years, she closed the store and rented it out to another company. Like, uh, was it called the gem trail rock shop? It was just a big, you know, they had geodes and all kinds of rocks and stuff. And then she went to work for a doctor 
in in the office and she eventually learned accounting and stuff like that and she did that that's why i mean i have so much respect for what my mom did for us i can't you know i mean yeah it's hard to put into words but she she really did a hell of a job yeah and your mom was your biggest fan Uh, yeah for sure that is so great i love that and i love that story where you and your mom were watching your late night yeah, appearance. I did the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson in 2006. And the way it worked was you taped on a Monday and then they aired it on a Friday. So, you know, I had a ton of friends that were like, let's have a watch party at a bar. And, you know, and it was one of those times in life where, I don't know, I just made the right decision. I knew. And I just said to my mom, I want to watch it with her. And I watched it in the house I grew up in, just me and my mom. Aww. And she had, she was diagnosed with lung cancer and she didn't tell me before cause she was afraid I, you know, would cancel. And so she told me when I got back. And so then I was like, Oh my God, I'm so glad. And that is my favorite showbiz memory for sure, man. I spent the night at the house I grew up in. I bought a six pack of beer. I'm having some beers. My mom's like, man, you're sure putting away a few beers. And I'm like, mom, it's my network television debut. What the hell? I'm sleeping on the couch. It'll be good. And my mom was so cute. She's like, what if we both fall asleep? And I, I have, <laughs> before it show, before yeah, it airs. Before it airs. <laughs> and I even used the effort. I said, there's no fucking way I'm going to fall asleep, mom. If you want to take a nap, go ahead. <laughs> so watching it with her, I mean, it does, it brings just warmness Aww. to my heart. You know, it was, there's, there's times in life where you just, afterwards you're like, God, I'm so glad I made that decision. And that was, that was one of those yeah, for sure. beautiful. I'm so glad too, John. Yeah. yeah, that's a really sweet memory. And the fact, kind of the bookends of the beginning of your comedic awakening, mm-hmm. you know, that came out of pain, right. that came out of necessity. And a lot of comedians, we become comedians almost out of a necessity. Yeah. And it's a great, it's one of the most intelligent, I've been told this by psychologists, coping mechanisms that we can have. Like there's lots of ways to get out of pain. You know, you can run away from it. You can box it up. But when we use humor and I, I still feel like it's part of the creative energy, which we don't know where that comes from. I like to think it comes from higher power, which some people call God. I, I just know that it's like a high level way of dealing with pain but you took the high road and, and then it was a cool, like, you know, from the beginning, like here you are helping your mom cope with this. Right. And at the end of her life, you know, you're watching the fruition of that's so cool. Yeah. And I mean, like I say, you know, I watched my network television debut with the one person that I didn't have anything to prove to, you know what I mean? Oh man. She was, she was so supportive of me. She was never like, Oh, you know, you should get a day job or whatever. So (laughs) to watch that with her, was just amazing. I'm just glad you had that experience. Yeah, it was so good. It was, like I say, it's my favorite showbiz memory, you know? Yeah. Is there anything up for you right now that you're using humor to deal with? Is anything like, like what, what, what do you catch yourself writing about these days? Well, I'm, I'm working on, because I released an album and then did a dry bar special and both of them have a lot of the same material on it. So out of, for lack of a better word, necessity, I'm trying to come up with that new hour. But what I've found that helps me is I'm doing it under the tentpole of today's topics. 
And so I tackle, you know, some of the topics that bother me and that helps, you know, like that joke that we listen to. And I have a joke about the national debt. And so just to, and that, as I'm writing, what I'm trying to do now is list topics that I want to uh, talk about, like freedom of religion and um, abortion and try to do it in a comedic way. So yeah, I guess I, you know, I am, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I think that I am dealing with some of the stuff that bothers me in a comedic way you know, a lot of comedians, when something bad happens, car accident or just some thing that's, we, a lot of us will go, well, that'll be good material. Right. I don't know if you have that. Do you ever have that moment of like, the, well, probably the woman that's coming up to you offering you food that made yeah. you feel uncomfortable. And or- I, I had, um, you know, a woman at a bus stop come up to me. It was night and she comes up and she goes, are you all right? Do you have somewhere to go? And I mean, at the time I was like, yeah, I'm fine. But then I turned that into a joke where I'm like, yeah, I'm at a bus stop. I'm going places, you know? So that, like you talked about lookism, that happens a lot. Um, And just recently this woman was walking three dogs and they were really little dogs and they were on a leash, but the leash is a dragon. And, so she's not holding the leash. No, they're just they're out there, so that she can say if she gets a ticket, oh, they got away from me. Yeah, and so then these three little dogs go across this alley where I was sitting on the other side of the alley, and it wasn't a busy alley, but I was like, I didn't feel comfortable, so I walked back over to the woman, and the dogs were barking. I didn't feel super threatened or anything. They were little dogs, and she goes, oh, they're friendly, and then she walked away, and I walked the other way, and one of those little dogs just kept following me and barking and stuff. And, you know, I'd stop and the woman would call the dog, but she wouldn't go and get it. So then I kept walking and I'm trying to do a joke about it. I haven't got it to work out yet, but this woman goes, could you stop please? And I'm like, now it's up to me for this <laughs> fucking dog, you know? And I go, I'll stop. But if this dog bites me, I'll be pissed. Cause when I was a little kid and it did, it brought, brought back the trauma of that. I got bit by a little dog on my calf who did the same thing, you know? Yeah. And so I said, if this dog bites me, I'm really going to be pissed. And she says, well, you can take it that way if you want, but I see it as a compliment. And my joke is, well, I see it as someone who can't control their fucking dog, you know? And it just, like I say, it really did bring back that memory of that dog biting me when I was a little kid. I have had my ass kicked twice by little dogs. Yeah. They are can be and I, I have scars on my calf yep, too. Yep. By these two schnauzers that live next door. <laughs> okay. I love That's that that made you laugh. Schnauzers. Ooh, so maybe you need to yeah. Okay. So I was walking through my neighbor's back uh, front yard. It was their front yard. Yeah. So I was I was cutting the right angle with the you know, the diagonal right. across their front yard. Going to my friend, my other friend's house. Yeah. These are my neighbors who we don't know very well. They're new to the neighborhood and they are retired and they are gone a lot in their RV. Right. So they're home. They have their two schnauzers. I'm, <laughs> you like the word schnauzers? Yeah. It's like that Germanic kind of <laughs> schnauzer. Schnauzer. Who would think a schnauzer? Yeah. So, and then we had a dachshund. But I, so I was, I was walking and I had on, because we like to, we like to, do Ozark skiing in our dingo boots that are very slippery on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So we would find a hill and we would squat down. And we, we made little tracks and we right. would go down the hill in our dingo boots. Okay. So I have on really slippery boots and I'm walking through their yard and, it, and the schnauzer comes and 
chomps and latches onto my calf and won't let go. And the woman goes, hold still, hold still, he'll let go. And then I, I held still and he, he let go and grabbed my other leg. And I'm like, no. And so I started running in my dingo boots. It was like a cartoon. It was like ding, 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 ding. I wasn't going anywhere because I had no yeah. traction. And I fell, <laughs> I fell face up. And I'm like, I thought he was going to kill me. I thought he was going to get my job. I was going to, can you imagine dying? And then it, drop, it drew blood, right? It drew blood through, yeah. uh, through a pair of Levi. This is like Ozark skiing. Levi's and long underwear. Wow. It drew blood. And my dad was like, Make me go back over there. He goes, you need to show her what her dog did to you. So he made me go back over there. And I got to say, we I'm one of five children. So we got two pair of Levi's for the year that we had to make last because we were on a budget. Right. And my jeans had holes in them. And then he had me roll up my leg and show her. And, you know, she just was not, she was not, well, she shouldn't have been in our front yard. But anyway, so I understand yeah. having that fear around a little dog because yeah. they can kick your ass. Yeah. I mean, I, I really did go back to when I was like 10 or 11 years old, however old I was. Yeah. This little dog is just nipping at me, you know, and I, he never bit me. And but, I, I want to hand it to you for not taking, I, a lot of comics love t doing jokes about drop kicking little dogs and right. shit like that. And I, I still hurts me. It's like, it is, it's a, it's the owner right. or we don't call it that in boulder right the animal companion yeah. the human companions it is though it's always it's that the guardian yeah it's the guardian's issue yeah it really was and i was like you know and this was in greenwood village which you know if you're not familiar with that it's an affluent community i mean this woman i'm sure she was doing okay yeah you know and i just thought man and that entitlement there's yeah. an entitlement that comes with that like and I are, and the reason I know she let go of those leashes and let him drag is because I have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit, I did that with Sophie yeah. sometimes. I would be like, oh, let her run, you know, in this right. field that's, you know, looks like nobody. I mean, there was nobody there, but still right. there's a part of me going, covering my ass, like, okay, let's let yeah. her run with the, she's not supposed to be off leash. It's yeah. not a dog park, but yeah. Technically, she, yeah, she's still on leash. <laughs> yeah. It's just not connected to me, but man, it, I love that it's like a, a you problem. Like you cannot fucking control your dog. Right. She's and, telling me to stop. Would you oh, I had stop? another, I had another tag for it. I don't know if this feels good or not, but it, cause she's also trying to control you. Yeah. So I, okay. I see it as you can't control your fucking dog or you can't fucking control your dog, which is right. really more about her. Cause it's not about fucking dog. It's about her. And then it's like, and I, and I'm guessing you can't control your husband. <laughs> Yeah, I like Cause that. Because she's, tr she's trying to, could you please stop right? so that I can be convinced to get my dog. Oh, so I feel like there might be a tag about you. And I, I am also guessing you can't control your husband. Yeah, that's that's good. Is he off leash too or, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's good. There we did it. Yeah, we did. That was fun. Thank you. What is the name of your dry bar special? Uh, goods and Services. I forgot the name of it there for a minute. It hasn't come out yet, but... Watch goods, for, we can watch for that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to services, goods yeah. and services. Mm -hmm. And what's the name of your album? Jokes I Can Only Tell Here. Jokes I Can Only Tell Here. Oh, that's great. I am so glad we're friends. You're yeah, one, me you're, too. You're one of those people that I think what I need to do more often is call you so mm -hmm. you can make a joke about some of my <laughs> daily anxieties. Maybe you can help me write a joke right now. Okay. Right. I'm a single mom, as you know. Okay. Single, stay away from home mom. No pressure. I mean, if something comes... 
what is funny about that is I am also recovering codependent. So I am very controlling and my poor son, <laughs> I feel like, like this is something that boys are boy. You know, there is a different, I mean, I don't want to be all gendering everybody. I'm the tomboy, non-binary-ish person, but my son, <laughs> like, like I just was lecturing him yesterday about his hand towel in his bathroom mm-hmm. that is covered in dirt. Right. And we had this power struggle about it. I was like, dude, this is evidence <laughs> that you are not washing your hands well. This could be dirt. It could be something else. Makes me feel unsafe in my house. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I don't know, but I feel afterwards I feel bad because, I mean, at least, I don't know, at least he started to wash his hands. I don't know, um, man. Maybe he's building up immunity that way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. By using the same dirty towel over and over again. You might be right because when he's from Nepal and when he was a baby, uh, yeah, they that he, he was at the Bangkok airport doing snow angels on the floor of the bathroom. Like he, I, I was like, this kid does have a lot of immunity. Maybe I, maybe I need to embrace his lifestyle. Maybe you should start washing your hands with that towel. <laughs> <laughs> washing my face with it. Yeah, there you go. Get into it under your nose. And, <laughs> and just conf- maybe I do need to get desensitized because my mom was a nurse, and I think there was a thing about hand washing at our house that was. That was, I think, in our DNA to keep us safe mm-hmm. from dying of dysentery. But, and honestly, that kid almost did die of dysentery. This is all coming back to me now. I met him in the hospital because he had diarrhea and he had diapers and he, the germs went up inside his, to his kidneys. Was that after he was doing snow angels in the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it was before, but. Probably again after actually, right. he, he when I when I was flying him back, it was a thirty hour trip, and I did not know that babies could poop their shoulder blades. So he, like, yeah, they have those huggies with the little leg bands, but they don't talk about the waist. Oh, they need a little belt for the diaper. Wow, it's gross, but it's a true story. Well, I've never pooped my shoulder blades, but <laughs> a little angel got his wings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's wild. <laughs> no, it was true. And I brought, because I was thinking, oh, he might have an accident. So I brought a bunch of outfits for him to change on the airplane in the toy bathroom. Only brought one outfit for me. And so I was holding him in my lap when he pooped his shoulder blades, which went up my shirt. And then I had, I'm washing a shirt in the little tiny sink in that airplane bathroom. With a baby there too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. You have to take him with you. Yeah. They kind of go like a football. You carry him around. Uh, <laughs> take him everywhere yeah. you go. You can't leave him at the seat. Put him in the seat. Oh, okay. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> I'll be back in a couple hours. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Any Anything I can help you with? Anything you need? You got any problem with your landlord or your uh, n- neighbors? No, no, not really. I just signed a new lease, so I'm good for another year there. A new lease on life. Yeah, a new lease on life. Things are good. I mean, I feel pretty, you know, I was going to say I feel pretty pessimistic, but I feel pretty optimistic about stuff. I, You know, that's one thing about the pandemic and everything. We all had all that time off, and I had a lot of time to think, you know, and I said to myself, man, there's a lot of stuff about show business. There's, there's some stuff about show business I'm not crazy about, but the thing that really does drive me is I love doing the shows, man. I, I, I love walking into a room full of strangers and winning them over. And 
I will always love that, you know? Yeah. I love bringing people joy. Mm-hmm. My vision and my mission statement is I hope people leave feeling better than when they walked in. There's just something about sharing a laugh yeah. with, with a friend and, or with a group of strangers. It's, it's such a nice. It's a great, yeah, it's the best. I mean, I haven't, I haven't done a lot of hard drugs. I did a little bit here or there, but even with weed, I mean, going into a room and just crushing, there's no, there's no feeling like that that I've ever had. It's the best high. For the longest time, when people would talk to me about what is it that you want to get across to the audience, I would just say, I want them to walk out and go, that hippie guy is funny. And I was almost like adamant about, you know, if you have a message or I just didn't, I didn't like that in comedy. And I've changed about that. I really have. Because I've seen people who felt really strongly about something, whatever that issue is. And they are great. I mean, they have well-crafted material. I think it raises the bar. You know, it better be a damn good joke. But but for the longest time, I was like, ah, I don't. And I can see myself talking about certain issues now that I never would have thought about before. And so I'm glad that I've, you know, realized that. Yeah, me too. I mean, for me anyway, I'm, I find it more interesting. But I hear what you're saying. I got into it feeling like I needed to feel understood or I needed to get validated. But I got to say, I mean, I do. Obviously, there's still an ego in there. But for me, I really, really just, I want people to have a great time. That's and, the number one thing for me, first and foremost. And I want I want that area between us. I'll, I really am humbled by the opportunity to, that I happen to be the one on the stage, but I love the idea of being a part of raising that vibration. For me, it's just the sake of sharing that energy. Yeah. I mean, I've always said it's like a partnership with the audience, you know, I can't remember who I saw and it wasn't even a comic. It was someone else talking about giving presentations and they said something about illuminate the room. And I wrote that on an index card and I put it on the door when I leave my apartment. Because, I mean, lots of times I'm going to do a show, and I just like that idea of illuminating the room. You know? But even if you're not doing a show, why not illuminate yeah. wherever you yeah, are? You know, true. let your you light the shine. Library, yeah. You know, and this is me getting spiritual now, because I do feel like I really am trying to, I honestly am trying to kill my ego at this point in my life. Uh-huh. I just am, pff, uh, it's just burdensome to me and distracting, and it's not as wise as, the, whatever I'm getting from doing trauma therapy on psychedelics, I feel like I'm getting this wisdom that I get to channel. Mm-hmm. So I'm really trying to get out of the way. I'm trying to get out of the ownership part of it. It's not about Nancy Norton. It's about us and it's about raising consciousness. And I don't even understand what that means other than it feels expansive and it feels like there's more light. Right. And why not do that wherever you go? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, illuminate every room. And every bus. Every bus, yeah. <laughs> Keep yeah. your shoes on, pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if they bring the fight, then yeah. it's on, dude. Yeah. You got the plastinium. I got plastinium. And, and you got the strategy. That's right. <laughs> well, thanks for talking with me and yeah. letting me share a little tromedy with our audience. Like, here's a couple of different subjects that maybe you haven't thought of, ways to make light of and help people you know, just get through the day with a little more, with a little more lightness. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks so much for having me on. It was so much fun. And congratulations on your podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It was really fun. 
Thank you, John Novosad. You can go to his website, hippieman.com. John is a regular at Comedy Works. You can see him headlining there. And thank you to my son who produces this music for the podcast. And thank you, my listeners. If you want to be on Traumedy, if you have something to share, this is not just about trauma dumping on people. We like share our trauma, but we share how we cope with it using comedy and other resources. So this is a resource for all of us who are trauma survivors. And maybe if you're just even having a stressful day, you know, tune in, see if you don't feel a little bit better about yourselves after hearing my trauma. And we want you to remember always take your pain and play with it.